Well, good morning, guys. We're really, really glad that you're here to be with us. And um, we're grateful that you guys are um, going to be guys that for the next uh, 10 weeks dive in with us and study the book of Daniel. This is a, a great book for us to be looking at as men because you'll see one man rise up in a society that has been plundered um, and even guys that are taken out of an environment where they should prosper and how they do prosper. You're going to see and have a great sense of God's sovereignty. If there's anything that we're going to want in the days ahead, as things get more tumultuous, um, as you maybe feel like there are increasingly godless men over you and trying to influence you, uh, men who rule with their own will and not with the rule of God's law, which was very interesting. Yesterday uh, was one of the uh, very few times in our nation's history that one of our nation's leaders said, I'm not going to enforce the law. In other words, something that seems right to me is going to be the law of the land, not something that has dutifully become the law of the land. Uh, specifically, when uh, the current administration said, we're not going to enforce the Defense of Marriage Act. We don't care if it's been processed through Congress. I don't care if a president from my own party signed it into law when Bill Clinton did. We are no longer going to defend it against those that decide to break it. And so when you've got a country that Rex Lex, the king is law, more than uh, Lex Rex, which is the law is king, you have got a country that uh, is, is really struggling. But here's what's great about the book of Daniel. You're going to see a picture of a young man who, where the king was law, said, I'm going to live honorably, and you're going to watch how God used him. Daniel never, ever was under the illusion that Babylon was in control. He always knew God was, and he was willing to follow him. And make sure, whatever you do, whatever you say about your Nebuchadnezzar, that you be a Daniel. Too many men worry about Nebuchadnezzar and don't worry about Daniel. What makes a man effective and great is not when he laments about the king. What makes a man great is First Timothy 2, when he gives prayers and entreaties for all men, especially the king, that we might basically live in peace or quiet, submissive lives, uh, but they are willing to die if they must. But you have got to make sure that more than lamenting about Nebuchadnezzar, you pursue being a Daniel. So this is a great book for us to be studying together uh, in the weeks ahead. Let me just pray for us real quick. We'll watch a little video out of this. I'll make a few brief observations today, and then we're going to turn you loose. You are, um, one more thing I'll say, and that is that you all are really getting a chance to uh, get exposed to one of my favorite Bible expositors, um, and his name is Warren Wiersbe. I hope that if nothing else comes out of this, that you avail yourself to Warren Wiersbe's material. This guy is one of the most insightful um, students of scripture that God has given us over the last century. And he is simple. He is clear. He breaks down passages in ways that I dare not read him because I can't see any other way sometimes to break down the text. And so I usually stay away from Wearsby till I've uh, spent some time there because I love how simple he is and profound he is. And he's very well read. Like Daniel was a scholar. I love the places that Wearsby pulls stuff from. So you guys are really going to get a treat. You're about to be exposed to a man that you need to know if you want to grow and want to get a good basic understanding of any book of the Bible. You just read some Wearsby. You'll love it. Great stuff. Father, thank you for these guys, for the fact that they have um, risen early to uh, commit themselves to uh, having fellowship with other men who want to be Daniels in their generation, who want to live faithfully no matter who is king over them. We thank you that Daniel 
was a man of nobility in Israel, and so it was not hard for him to be a man of nobility in Babylon. And I pray, whether we live in an Israel or a Babylon, uh, that we would be men that pursue greatness in obedience and submission to you. We thank you for this time. I thank you for these men, Lord. I pray you bless them. I pray you give them energy and strength. I pray you give them humility. I pray you give them courage. And uh, that they honor you in all things. In Christ's name. Amen. Watch this little video right here. I'm standing in a museum that used to be a church. In 1887, Pastor Henry and his wife Grace planted this church in a one-room schoolhouse just down the road. And in 1888, they were able to build this building. And they passed on their love for this community because of the gospel to a generation. And things were going really well. But two generations after this church was planted, it died. And you can see the pictures behind me of the faithful members of this congregation. And many of them lie in the graveyard behind the church. This church had a man crisis. It was men who made this church come alive, and it's probably men who caused this church to die. In churches, when men stop investing in younger men, younger men stop caring. That's probably what happened to this church, and that's definitely what's happening in our churches. Older gentlemen do not know how to finish well. They don't know how to invest. And so middle-aged men don't know how to stay married. They don't know how to stay connected to the hearts of their children. And so younger men don't even want to be men. And so younger men are prolonging their adolescence. And they're doing this residentially. Guys in their 20s and early 30s, a third of them live with their parents. That's a 100% increase in the last 20 years. They're doing it professionally. Men 18 to 42 will change jobs 11 times. They're doing it recreationally. The average age of video game user is 35 years old. And so when these men finally stop fondling the controller, they fondle themselves. Every second of every day, $3,000 is spent on pornography. Every second. We need better men. All right. It goes on from there, but you get the point. <laughs> and that is there are not many Daniels in Israel. And uh, Israel was a dead nation. The remnant was waning. Uh, one of the things that has encouraged me probably as much as anything I've ever heard anybody say about Watermark is that this is a man's church. And what he meant by that is this is a place that men are called to get in the game. That men are encouraged to be great and not to be passive observers, but to participate with us in advancing the kingdom. Uh, that doesn't mean every man here is in the game. There's still a lot of passivity. There's still a lot of guys that shirk responsibility. There's still a lot of guys that um, are not living courageously. There's still a lot of guys that don't understand that this is a fleeting world. And they've given themselves away to fleeting things. In fact, when I have uh, had a chance to speak to other pastors and other young guys leading other churches, one of the things I tell them is that the crisis, I've said the exact same thing in a very different way. I've just said the problem with the church today is it's led by weak men. Or it's led by strong men who lead poorly. Or they don't take into account that men are lazy. Uh, I was having a conversation with um, the uh, mother of a young man in, in West Dallas that I've been pouring my life into the last couple of years. 
And uh, she had told me specifically, she said, I know that this is not a good situation that I'm in in the relationship. But she goes, uh, she goes, I've always believed I need a man. To which I responded to her as lovingly as I could. I said, well, first of all, we need to talk about your premise because it's getting you in all kinds of trouble. And secondly, let me point out to you that you're not living now with a man. You're living with two boys, one of them that shaves. And uh, one you can't control. And he's not a man. He's 50, but he's not a man. Uh, contrary to our good friend up there, Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, just because you're 40, you're not a man. All right? In fact, as you can tell from that little deal right there, a lot of guys are 35 and they're still living lives of boys. And we're not here to scold anybody. But we're here to say, are you weary of being a child? Because I want to tell you something. Women are weary of being led by children. The scripture says, and we mentioned this last week, that one of the signs of judgment on a land is when kings rule who are like children. And it doesn't mean when there's six and twelve-year-olds in positions of power. It means when there's people that are of a certain age that should be acting like men that aren't acting like men. Daniel is a book that just can remind us of what can happen. So I said again uh, that, that we're led by weak men or we're led by strong men that give themselves the fleeting things. Or we don't know that men are lazy, and so we don't call them to rise up. Let me finish my story about my little friend that I was talking to. And I just said, one of the things that you need to know about men is most men will rise to the level of greatness that you expect them to. And if you're going to sit there and let him not work and support him, he's not going to work. And so you've got to learn to do what God called you to do, which is to complete him. Speak the truth to him. To bring accountability into his life. And uh, I will tell you that one of the greatest gifts that God can give a man is a woman that says, I believe that you are a, a guy that wants to be a man. I'm going to love you enough to hold you accountable and bring consequences into your life uh, until you learn to be that guy. And I was just encouraging her that way. Uh, and, and just saying, you've got to call this guy to be what he's going to be. But if you'll let him get away, all right, just go study lions in Africa. If they can lay in the shade and have sex six times a day and make the women hunt and then come growl and drive them away from the carcass, they'll do it. They'll do it. And uh, we are not to be lazy men. We've got to be men that give ourselves to great things. One of the things that I want you to get out of Daniel chapter 1 is, uh, is that the guys that God uses, the guys that change whichever culture they're in, the remnant of a, destruct, a, a culture that is melting away, or the source of strength in a culture that is starting to grow, is men who give themselves fully to excellent things. Uh, we, we talked in here last week about what a definition of a man was. And it takes absolutely no effort to go through Daniel and watch where he stepped up, watch where he spoke out, Watch where he stood firm, said, throw me in the lion's den if you must, but I'm not going to bow before the king. You'll watch in chapter 1 when he stayed humble. And he said, uh, you know, uh, observe me, watch what God does. And if it doesn't seem well for you to, uh, to allow me to continue to do these things, then say that. And Daniel served the king. He lived for an eternal reward. Uh, I, I didn't get any of that stuff by studying Daniel. But it's always there. And so maybe one of the things to do just to reinforce kind of the premise for what we're looking at this entire semester and what it means to be a man is anytime you see Daniel do something, you might want to go back and just kind of drill some of the things in your mind that make a man great. 
And go, here's an example of somebody stepping up. You'll see it in Daniel chapter 3 like nowhere else. Here's an example of some men speaking out. Here's an example of men standing strong. Here's an example of men staying humble. Here's an example of men living for an eternal reward, serving the king. So that might be a great way to go through and study. All right? Uh, You will see here a great example of what God needs in our very culture. Men of nobility, men of courage, men who if the country around them falls and they live under a different sovereign, do not live in fear, but seek to be greatness in that new culture. Okay? Uh, The one thing I want to just uh, focus on today, and then we'll get you out of here and get you guys started building relationship, because the first week, what I encourage you to do is just, uh, you know, start to get to know each other, because there's going to be some guys in your group um, that, A, have never been in a study before. There's going to be some guys in your group that don't know anybody else. And so love each other. All right. The first day when guys walk into a new platoon, there's a lot of insecurity and a lot of guys trying to figure out how how, um, you know, how they're going to navigate their way in this group of men. And so be a sensitive leader who pulls others in, who doesn't discourage guys with where they are, but encourages them for where they are at a place where they can grow and be sharpened. And we're really proud of you guys. and We're glad you're here. One of the things I want to point out right here in Daniel chapter one. Is, uh, is what Daniel made a decision to do is when he went to Babylon and he got ushered into the presence of prosperity and, um, and opportunity, he did not go, this is great. Everybody else is back there being famished in a land that is plundered, but I'm going to get to live and eat at the king's table. There is a rather curious little Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 23 that I want us to look at this morning. Um, you guys can go look at it some. I put it up here today just so we can follow along. But watch this. You read this, and at first you go, what in the world does it mean? When you sit down to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. Put a knife to your throat if you are a man of great appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, uh, um, for it is deceptive food. Let's just stop right there for a second. Now, that is a very interesting proverb. Why are you told when you sit down before uh, to dine with a ruler to, to make sure that uh, you don't, um, I guess, engorge yourself and fall in love with the opportunity before you? To put specifically a knife to your throat. Well, let me try and explain to you what's going on here. And Daniel is a classic illustration of this. There is no question that the food was rich and good and plentiful. But Daniel was a man of conviction and believed that the reason that God gave commands was not just arbitrary. He believed that the dietary code that God had given him was what was best for him. And so he chose to live that way. He didn't live like he could. He lived like he believed he should under the um, instruction of a loving father. In other words, just because he had opportunity doesn't mean he should take advantage. And Daniel, that's what it says by taking a, uh, putting a knife to your throat. You restrict yourself. Specifically, let me say this. One of the ways that a lot of guys get taken out of the game is that you are given um, enough taste of pleasure. All right? Uh, sometimes one of the things that companies do is that they'll start to compensate you in such a way uh, and, and that, that you are seduced into what, doing whatever you need to do to keep that compensation coming. And you give your heart to your king, which is that person who then will write a check and pay for you to live at a certain lifestyle. Because you're going to go after eating here, after living this way, after having this much disposable income, I will do whatever I have to do to stay at this table. 
And your highest and greatest goal then becomes to get filet mignon, okay, um, and some good wine always before you when you sit down. Or always plush leather seats. Or always spacious houses. And what has happened is that king has given you good things and you then say, I now serve you king and I will do whatever you want me to do to stay at this table. Including work long hours that bring compromise to my, uh, my highest priority or what was my highest priority before my taste buds got involved. All right? And my stomach was encouraged. Now, for us, it's not typically taste buds and stomachs, but what it typically can be is a standard of living and a kind of comfort that we then have to make whatever choice we have to make to continue to live with that kind of comfort and that kind of privilege. And what Proverbs 23 is saying to you is, you be careful. Um, I had a conversation with a guy whose name you would all know if I, uh, I mentioned it to you, who was um, a very influential and powerful person that was surrounded by guys that I uh, knew were not serving him well because there was a clear drift in his ship. And I had been invited into this guy's inner circle um, uh, for whatever reason to um, participate with them in some things that we were doing. And it wasn't long before I saw that the ship was adrift in ways that other folks um, maybe hadn't seen from outside, or that there were things going on, if I'd say this, inside the captain's bridge, which were not consistent with the reputation of the vessel. And uh, I made a decision, and by the way, this was the nicest ship I had ever sailed on. Uh, This this was um, one of those positions of prominence and one of those circles of privilege that you think uh, you couldn't be there unless you were given God's favor. And uh, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever have opportunities to be um, around that kind of, of thing again, uh, both from a perspective of influence and a perspective of uh, a nice yacht. And I realized that this is the proverb that came to my mind. When I was, in a sense, walking on that ship, uh, metaphorically, the Lord said, Wagner, put a knife to your throat, and don't you love the privilege of being on this ship? You love the captain. And that means if you speak the truth to that captain and he throws you overboard, that's fine. Because your goal is not to stay on that ship. Your goal is to serve me when you're on that ship. That's what's going on here with Daniel. It wasn't long after I was there that I sat down and had a conversation with the captain and had um, a chance just as humbly as I could ask questions about some things and then even to go to him and said, I'd like you just to um, not just ask my opinion, but ask the opinion of others. And I watched the opinion of others who kind of just looked at me like, fool, don't you know? You don't have that conversation with the captain. You're not going to be on this yacht very long if you lean into those things. And I looked at them in disbelief and said, since when was our goal to be on this yacht? I thought our goal was to serve the king. And they looked at me and literally, they didn't use these words, but they said, Dude, you can't sail anywhere else okay, like this unless you're on this ship. And we all know the captain's going to sail this way. And we went on this ship. And they had, in effect, sold their soul. And so I no longer sailed on that ship after very long. Um, but I tell you, to this day, I'm the captain's friend. And I continue to speak with him. But uh, there were things that I needed to address.
It says, put a knife to your throat. The reason, by the way, that verse 4 comes right after verses 1 through 3 is because of what I'm saying. Too many guys fall in love with the delicacies of this world, and then they begin to serve it. Uh, the scripture says, one of the verses we've memorized in past summits, is it talks about how uh, you can't serve God and mammon. You'll either uh, love the one and despise and hate the other, okay? Uh, or, or you'll despise one and serve the other. Money is like that. And so what it's saying is if you fall in love with something other than God, you will weary to pursue and try and get something that in the end, it says, takes wings and flies away. And you can't keep it anyway. God's just the opposite. When you run after him, the scripture says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And then watch this, I'm not going to run from him. But I'm going to run more and more to him. I will disclose myself to him. So I want to tell you, knowing the Nebuchadnezzars of this world, as fun as it is, is not your highest and greatest good. Being intimate with Jehovah, serving him, knowing him, is what it is. There's a great one other verse. It's Proverbs 22, 29. You just scribble it down. And uh, because Daniel decided who he served, Daniel went out and said, I'm going to be great at what God calls me to be great at. And Daniel rejected being lazy and passive. And he was not an average guy. This is the thing I would tell you in Daniel 1. Don't be average. Be a man that commits himself to excel. Pursue greatness. Proverbs 22, 29 says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will not stand before obscure men. He will stand before kings. It actually says it the other way. Uh, he, will not stand before, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Daniel was ushered into great men because he was a man that was skilled in what he's done. And let me tell you, men are looking for others. They go, you know, when this guy's around me, something good really happens. Uh, there's an old famous story, I'll close with this, of um, uh, the CEO, of, uh, two or three back of American Airlines, who had a couple of guys around him that every time they met, there was one guy that, that always goes, that's a great idea, I think that's exactly what we should do, what you just said, chief, you know. And there's another guy who goes, I don't know, and challenged him, and, and spoke the truth, and felt like he should um, uh, push back and lean into some things. And one day the three of them were together, and he said, you know what, I've noticed this. Every time we're together, uh, and I bring up an idea, you always disagree with me. You always challenge me. You always push back on my thinking. You always are, are, are uh, you know, bringing me other facts to bear. Uh, you're not, in a sense, acquiescing um, to what I think and trying to uh, uh, make uh, myself think that I'm bright because you agree with me. You, on the other hand, I want to just tell you, you're always affirming. You're always encouraging me. You're always telling me that what I've thought is the right thing to think. And I've been thinking about this. You know, if you and I always think the same, and you always agree with me, then one of us ain't necessary. And I'm not going anywhere, so you're fired. And he got rid of him. Because he said, look, I need somebody who's going to sharpen me. Not somebody who's just going to blow wind up my skirt. And uh, what I would tell you guys is this world isn't looking for men who just need to get a line and drift along with the, uh, the, the, the corruption that is in our culture. It needs guys who know what truth is and who can speak up and who fear the real king. And know that all of us, whether we're skilled or not, are going to have an account for our lives one day and stand before the greatness of God. So you're going to stand before 
a great king one day, whether you're skilled or not, you may as well serve him now. So when you stand before him, you will not be moved aside in obscurity, but you'll hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. The irony is when you do that now, you're often ushered into great men here. But we don't do it for that reason, because sometimes you're ushered into furnaces and lions den. Be that man. All right. Father, thank you for these guys that we're going to dive in together this week, uh, these next weeks, and um, learn how we can give ourselves to you, the, the one true, great, and coming king. I thank you that we've got guys in this church that want to step up and that want to um, speak out, that want to uh, stand firm, stay humble, and want to serve you. Father, will you make us skilled men, broken, humble men that know that apart from you we can do nothing? that uh, know that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. We thank you that we get to study Proverbs this semester as we study Daniel and hide words in our heart that will tell us how to be essentially your men. So that, Father, when we are given the opportunity to serve others, we will serve them with a heart of wisdom. We love you. We thank you that you have done at least enough work in us that we would want to be here with others who can spur us on to greatness. For the good of the women and children who look to us, the men who will come behind us, the men who war with us now, for the good and glory of the true and eternal King, and for the favor that will necessarily come to ourselves, we pray these things. Amen.